Welcome to You Might Relate, a podcast where we take relationships and mental health to the next level. I am Stacy Heaps, a licensed clinical social worker, and I have been practicing therapy for the last 15 years. There are counseling concepts and stories that I am excited to share. When we know better, we do better. Together, let's get to a place of radical acceptance of where we are while improving relationships and tackling life's transitions, one therapy concept and one story at a time. So let's get started to see if you relate. Good morning. It's nice to have you here. Even if it's not morning for you, what time of day is it for you? January is what month it is at the time of this recording. I am hearing that some people look at January as a month of renewal and change and growth and opportunities and becoming a new you. And others look at January as a time of hardship for lots of reasons, but some it's just the weather. It's cold. And for some, life gets back to the unexciting, humdrum, everyday, normal routine And then for some, we need to remember that holidays are draining for people, especially if they've had loss or trauma, and this is an anniversary for them. So I just want to acknowledge that however you feel, you are normal, and it's okay. And if you need a counselor, then get online to Psychology Today and pick one out that would best work for you. This new year... I am going to keep my focus on relationships and in particular, long-term partners or marriage relationships. So if there's a topic you would like to hear more about, then leave it in the comments and we will get to it for sure. Maybe you're the same way. When you listen to your voice on a recording, when you hear your voice back, do you like it? It's really hard for me to listen to my own voice. I don't love how it sounds and I think it's because I think think I sound like Nora Jones. Oh my gosh, it doesn't she have the most gorgeous voice. But when I hear it back, it just sounds cringy. It sounds high-pitched to me. Anyway, I have learned a little bit why I don't like it. It's because the sound from the audio recording is being transmitted differently to my brain than when I just speak. So when I listen to myself via recording, The sound travels through the air and into my ears, which is air conduction. And then the sound energy vibrates the eardrum and small ear bones. And the bones then transmit the sound vibrations to the cochlea, which stimulates nerve axons that send the auditory signal to the brain. But when I speak just right now, like I'm speaking, it just goes to my inner ear a different way. It's internally conducted through my skull bones. (laughs) I do not sound like Nora Jones when I hear myself back. Do you sound like you want to sound? Are you communicating what you want to communicate? When I think I am asking my kids or talking to my kids in a very nice, matter-of-fact, non-emotional way, and they take my words or my tone as being curt or abrupt or even rude, I'm always shocked. This usually happens when I'm asking them to do something, and I think I'm asking them in a very matter-of-fact, kind, firm way, but they are taking my words in a different way than I intend. It's just interesting that we can, maybe it was my body language or, you know, my furrowed eyebrow or something that 
cause them to think that I am not just saying something matter-of-factly, but that I was curt or abrupt. Also, I just think my kids are really good at critiquing me and calling me out on things. But it's interesting that people can have different views on how to take a communication. That's why I have decided to do an episode on being a content communicator because I obviously need to work on this. How often do you say something that is interpreted differently than how you intended? Do we sound different than we think we do? Is it kind of like I think I sound like Nora Jones, but I don't? Or you thought you asked nicely and come to find out it might have been abrupt, curt, or even rude? So today we're going to talk about a few ways to enhance being a content communicator. How old were we when we started to learn language? I mean, babies and even babies in the womb and up to three months react to loud sounds. They're calmed down by smiles or when spoken to, and they recognize your voice. They even calm down if they're crying. They can make coos and pleasure sounds. They have even a special way of crying to get different needs met, and they smile when they see you. And then at the blink of the eye, it's been six months and most babies will recognize the basic sounds of their native language, wherever they're from. They have also been paying close attention to that furrow eyebrow you have sometimes and all the nonverbal cues you give. We have been students of verbal and nonverbal language since the womb. We might think that the verbal and nonverbal communication and signals we send out are being interpreted one way, but it might not be received that way. The bottom line about being a content communicator is that we want to say what we mean and mean what we say, right? We don't want to keep people guessing. Now, what did she or he really mean by that? When we are successful content communicators, what we think and feel matches what we say and do. Communication is an interaction, and interactions come in all types of ways. I've had a few people interact with me while driving with their middle finger in the air. That's nonverbal. I have had people give me the silent treatment, also nonverbal. And my kids have rolled their eyes at me, plenty. That's also nonverbal. One of the most well-known researchers on this topic is Dr. Mahabrian. He did this study with his colleague named, oh my gosh, I think it's his name is Weiner, but it might be Weiner. Anyway, so based on their research, 7% of feelings and attitudes take place via the words we use in spoken communications. And then 38% take place through tone and the remaining 55% take place through body language. This tells us that we need to pay attention to far more than just the words other people are using when we communicate with them. But also, we should be aware of what we communicate to others through our tone and body language, not just our words. I love to teach intentionality, and our communication would serve us better if we were more intentional about it. The most important quality of the power of language is its ability to convey the message intended. Why would we want to send a message that's not intended, right? We want to send messages 
and we want to be intentional about it. And the more precisely a word defines its intended meaning, obviously the greater impact it will have. So let's take a closer look at nonverbal communication. We have paralinguistics, and I include this here because even though it is vocal communication, it is separate from actual language because it includes tone of voice, loudness, and pitch. Tone of voice is your voice. What voice are you coming from? Are you coming from an annoyed voice, a tired voice, a frustrated voice? Take, for example, if my husband says, hey, do you want to go see the new Terminator movie? I could say, sure. Or I could say, sure, let's go. Sure. So more on that later. The same word, but it means two different things, right? That's tone. Inflection in voice, what you emphasize in your sentence. So this is a fun one. What is the tone of your question? You can ask the same thing in so many different tones. Did you take out the garbage? 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 So many different ways, right? Inflection in voice is important. Gestures, deliberate movements and signals, waving, pointing, thumbs up, making your hands into a heart, holding your chest, covering your eyes with your forearm. There was a time when my husband and I would be talking and he would put his hand, well, his forearm over his eyes and his forehead and tilt his head back. And I took it to be so rude. You just want to be anywhere than with me talking, right? And so I asked him about it and he said, no, I'm just tuning everything out so I can focus on what you're saying. Whether that's true or not, it's okay now. It's also okay to ask. Maybe someone's gesture that they're presenting is not how they mean it. And then there's body language. Are you standing in a defensive stance? Are your arms on your hips? Are they folded? Are your legs crossed? And are you listening in an attentive posture or is it I want out of here posture? Then we have facial expression. Our face is often the first thing people see before they hear anything we say. And did you know that the facial expressions for happy, angry, sad, and fear are similar no matter where in the world you're visiting? Those four are pretty universal. So be aware of what your facial expression is communicating. Do you have a relaxed expression? Worried, mad, sad, smiling, withdrawing. That's when you leave physically or mentally and sometimes you just check out. Or stonewalling. This is when you turn away while the other person is speaking. They're pretending not to hear, engaging in a different activity or acting busy. This conversation is over and then physically leaving. So that's all stonewalling. Talk to the hand kind of attitude. Okay, stamp collecting is my favorite to describe. So this is when you might have it in your head all the times that, oh my gosh, and in 1996, he forgot Valentine's Day. And then on my anniversary, he forgot that. And then he didn't remember those three birthdays and he's never bought me flowers. And you're just collecting stamps and you have collected them all. And now you're going to show the collection to the person who has been hurting you over this topic. Look at all the evidence. Look at all these stamps I have to prove to you the hurt and the pain that you have caused me. That's stamp collecting. 
Another good one is, now, the last time we had sex was eight days, four hours, and two minutes ago. And then the time before that was 10 days, and the time before that was seven days. You're keeping a log or collecting stamps to prove your point. So I just want to ask you, if you are a stamp collector, I think women are pretty famous for being stamp collectors just because we have a really good memory. How do you behave if you are stamp collecting, even if you're not voicing it, but you just have it in your head? What happens? I don't think stamp collecting is very healthy. Silence. We don't say what is on our minds. And here's the thing. If you need some quiet and you just need time to be alone and think and process and just get away from the situation, let the person know. Just don't go silent. Tell them this is the estimated time when I'll be able to return and talk about the subject. And then if that time comes and you're still not able to talk about it, then let that person know. Don't just be silent. Maybe even if you have to write a note or a text, just don't be silent. Give some kind of clue of what you're doing in the moment. I'm processing this. I'm thinking about what you said. Well, we're going to talk about it soon. Don't abandon. And then there's proximity, which is the distance we have between us. Some of us have smaller bubbles than others. What are you communicating when you invade someone else's bubble? What are you communicating when you back away slowly from somebody? If you want to be understood or understand them, then it's a good idea to be able to have eye contact and be at close distance, but not too close, to pick up on all the signals and facial expressions and everything like that. And then there's the eye gaze. Some people call it the look. She gave me the look. I have a kid that when we take pictures, almost every time we take pictures, they do what only can be described as the dead face or zombie face. It's a problem. Because I want these really cute pictures and this child gives a dead face to the camera. Going back to the eye gaze, obviously our eyes are the windows to our heart or the eyes are the window to the soul. So there is a really fun game or exercise that you could do. It's kind of like charades, except instead of acting, you sit across from each other and someone will have a feeling let's say I'm going to pick frustrated. So now I'm going to stare at the person across from me. It's just between two people. And I am going to convey frustrated with my eyes. And then they try to get as close as they can to that feeling and describing it. So try that. That's a really fun game. And it's just using your eyes. You're not mouthing anything. You're not saying anything. You're just trying to send a message through the eyes. So That's a fun family game or a fun spousal game. So all these are nonverbals. Check in with yourself on what you do. Ask your loved one. See what they say that you do. And talk about it. Share with one another. What are some healthy things that we do? Oh, yeah, we we never give each other the silent treatment. And then maybe talk about the unhealthy patterns that you see that you have in your relationship with your nonverbals. The next thing to being a good content communicator is, and this is my favorite thing to tease people about, especially the teenagers. So here's your clue. That's impossible. It'll never happen. Everyone is doing it. Nobody cares. We always win. It's certain to rain. My reasoning as to why we speak in absolutes is that we really want to capture the listener's attention. 
right? I mean, sometimes I do feel like this. I want a shock factor or an entertainment factor so I can grab everyone's attention away from their phones. I need to be talking hyperbolic right now. I need to tell you something amazing so that I can grab your attention for a little bit. (laughs) Do you ever feel that way with your families? Anyway, so then what we do is we use these absolutes. That's impossible. Nobody cares. Everyone, you know, we're using these absolutes. So that's my hypothesis as to why we use them is because we are just so used to being entertained and it feels like if we don't use some language antics, you know, we will not get the attention of the person we want to send a message to. So maybe I'm wrong, but if you agree with me, then write it in the comments. So the problem I see with using absolutes is this. If we want to be taken seriously, if we want to create trust with the people we are communicating with, using absolutes is not the way to do it. In fact, I think our message can get lost in that hype. For instance, if my kid comes home and says, everyone at school is wearing these shoes and I really need them, then I am instantly going to discount what he said because I know that everyone at school does not have them. That's not a fact. And if it's not a fact, then it's a lie. Innocent as it is, it's an innocent lie. (laughs) Because our society uses absolutes so much, we are all a bunch of little liars. See what I did there? However, if he came home, says, Mom, There are these shoes that are made in a certain way from a certain company using the certain science and it's helped Joe and Tyler and a few other guys on the team run faster because they are lightweight and support your feet at the same time. I would love to have them. Okay, now I'm going to listen because he's giving me the facts. The truth is that not everyone has them, so we shouldn't say everyone has them. And in a marriage or any kind of relationship, we want to refrain from using absolutes because they are all inclusive. There's no exceptions. And instead of listening to your point, they will be challenging the words that you said, the absolute. The absolute of it weakens your point and raises doubt. You're weakening your credibility, right? If people doubt what you're saying, then you're not going to have credibility. So examples of this are like this. You never do anything around the house. Okay, well, there's been one time they did something, right? That hyperbole, you might feel that it's true, but if you are trying to be more truthful and you're trying to stick to the experience at hand, then you might say something like this. Today, I did a lot of things without help while you watched football. I'm wondering if you could unload the dishwasher and read the book with the little one. We're sticking to the facts. If it is a fact, she didn't say while you watch football all day and all night, or she didn't say while you watch football 24-7. She just said, today I did a lot of things without help while you watch football. To be more factual, you could say from 12 to 4 while you were watching football, I did a lot of things. And I'm wondering if now you could unload the dishwasher and read books with the little ones. Okay, so that's better, right? Here's another example of using absolutes. You always put the kids' needs first. Always. I'm sure there's a few times that she didn't put the kids' needs first. I'm sure there's that one time, but your needs first, right? We're going to lose credibility if we say it like that. So instead of that, I would like to spend more time with you, and I'm wondering if we could schedule some morning time before the kids get up 
And then at night, what do you think we close down the house together and go to bed together? Is there anything that I can do to help you with that? Because I really want to spend more time with you. So there's another example of changing it to mean what you really want. Another example is you only have one thing on your mind. Number one, it's accusatory. Number two, you don't know all the things they have in their mind because you're not a mind reader. And three, maybe that's not going to help your case. What do you want? What's the point in saying you only have one thing on your mind? What are you trying to get from saying that? So instead, say something like, I would like us to connect in more ways than just physically. I would like to take dance lessons with you. Here they are on Saturday from 5 to 9. I would also like to talk about politics. I want to be able to bring phones to the table so we can search the news and talk about politics at dinner. And on Sundays, I want to go for a walk to check in with one another emotionally and at the beginning of the week. So see how if you use absolutes, you only have one thing on your mind, or you always put the kids' needs first, or you never do anything around the house. All those are just accusatory. They're absolute talking. Your spouse is going to be like discounting everything that you just said because it's actually just not true. When we say things that aren't true, if we know there's fake news, then we don't want to read the paper anymore, right? We don't want to read fake news. So when we use those absolutes, we are spreading fake news. We don't want to spread fake news. Am I right? You want to ask yourself, so when I'm communicating, am I sending the message of what I want to send? Or are they having to guess what I want? We want to be clear in what we are communicating. And you know what? This is the thing that we say to our spouses. Well, you should just know this. You should just know. You should know me by now. We've been married this many years and you should know this. How many times have I told you? The thing is, even if they did know, their brains work differently, even if they know, what is the point of being accusatory and what is the point of using absolutes to the one person that you love? Is that loving? And is that how you get what you want? When someone accuses you, do you give in to what they want? Or do you get what you want by communicating effectively what you want? So we really got to think about, okay, what is my purpose here? What's my intention? And am I making my intention known? And am I doing it in the most effective way, in the most effective tone, in the most effective voice? But remember in a previous episode, episode nine, we reviewed cognitive distortions. There's quite a lot, but this black and white thinking all or nothing thinking is one of the top ones. So if you need to review that, go back and listen to episode nine. It's all or nothing. It's a certain way. There is no gray. So catch yourself. Some more examples of absolute language include all, none, must, except, every, always, just, only, and never, constantly, everything, totally, entirely. I'm daring to say there might be one person in every family who uses absolutes and you just know to take what they say with a grain of salt, right? And now ask yourself if you are that person. Are you the person that people have to take what that you say with a grain of salt? Or do you find yourself using these phrases to get a point across? 
Now ask yourself, are you really expressing yourself when you use these words? Kind of like how I grew up hearing that we shouldn't use cuss words because that just means we're not using our brain to be more descriptive. I suppose the same could be said for absolutes. Just like my teen wanting the shoes scenario, he could use a lot more valid reasons why he wants them other than everyone has them. And so when you go to use absolutes, try to be really specific. If you are specific and say the facts and say it without judgment, watching your tone, watching all the things, your nonverbals, then you will much easier get your point across. And if your man or your partner is left brain and you are right brained, it's really important to not use absolutes. They will be discounted a lot more quickly. And here's my next concept that I want to share with you. It's about the pronoun you. The word you is to address a specific person when you are not using their name. So will you change the light bulb instead of saying, will Michael change the light bulb? Because we don't want to always say or use the person's name in third person, right? So it is an important word when addressing your spouse or loved one, besides when you address them by their name. Their name is the most important. But besides that, how we say the word you, because it's still addressing them, is important. When it is used in a sentence, it's important to pay attention to how we are referring to them. Did you say you with respect? Did our inflection, voice, eye contact, body language match how we're saying it? So I have three guidelines to help people remember how to use the pronoun you in being a content communicator and just having healthy relationships. And this helps you stay out of judgment or negative communication patterns. Okay, so the first guideline is it's okay to use the word you when you're stating the facts. Stating the facts is when it's acknowledged by both parties in the relationship. So you are wearing a red shirt. You are typing on the computer. And then the second one is it's okay to use the word you when expressing a compliment or if you are showing support or love of someone. I love you or you look dazzling tonight. And number three, it's okay to use the word you when you have a question or a hypothesis. So you just have to watch the tone here. Careful, careful. So listen, we're going to just remember when you're, when you're asking a question, I want you to hear my voice in your head saying, careful, careful. I think that's a Saturday Night Live skit that's hilarious. Anyway, so I'm saying careful while you're saying, did you take the garbage out? Did you take the garbage out? It sounds a lot different than, did you take the garbage out? That's why I'm saying careful. It's okay for you to use the word you in a question, but be very careful how you use it. So if you follow these guidelines, you'll be able to catch yourself when you are about to say something in a way that does not give the receiver the message that you were intending to send. That's what communicating is about. Sending the message you intend to send and having it be received in the way you intended it. But then we do things that maybe we're not even aware of that send a different message. An example of this would be you have a teen who comes home late and you're upset that they came home late for four reasons, let's say. 
You get concerned of safety issues when they're out. You want to be able to get a deep sleep and not be woken up when they get home. You want them setting a good precedent for your younger siblings, for the younger siblings, and you want them to develop good habits, right? So for those four reasons, you want your teen home. But they didn't come home. They're late. So they come home and you scream and tell them they're irresponsible, ground them for a month, take away privileges, and slam the door. I know that's a little over the top, but if you did any one of those things, is your teen getting the message that you get concerned of safety issues and want to get a deep sleep and setting a good precedent for the younger siblings and developing good habits? Did you send that message? No. Now they're just mad at you for acting like a lunatic and the message is lost. And same happens in a marriage or any relationship for that matter. If our nonverbals do not match our verbals and we're using absolutes in our language or we're using the word you in a judgmental way, the message that we intended to get across is going to be lost. And this is also where I want to add, be a safe place for people to be themselves. Allow people to have their quirks and be unique and try new things or not want to do something or do something without you and be interested in something, develop a hobby. There's a podcast coming up more about differentiation and fun sex episodes that tie into some of these concepts. But for now, for this week, notice if what you communicated matches what you meant to communicate. Do you like the way you sound? I know I don't really like the way I sound after I listen to myself on the recording, but do I like, and more importantly, do I like the way I sound to my husband or to my kids or to my employees? What's my tone like? Look at your body language and all the nonverbals. Does it match your word? Are you using absolutes, which nullifies your point and you lose credibility, even if you are entertaining? And are you using the word you in a non-judgmental way? where the person feels respected. You don't need to make sudden changes. Just notice this week. And then, do you notice and you're aware? Then decide how you would communicate it differently so that you can be a content communicator. And that's what I have for you today. Thanks for joining me. Please leave me a review if you found this helpful. And if you didn't, don't worry about it. Take it easy. Until next time. Thank you for joining me today on You Might Relate. I hope this topic brought understanding and insight. And if you can relate to something in today's episode, subscribe and leave a review. I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts. Also, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at You Might Relate Podcast. And be sure to share this episode with your friends. The more understanding we create, the better we are as humans. You are in charge of your day, so go make it a good one. Catch you next time.